I'm just thankful for his word. Amen. Well, I'm going to get right into his word. Let's just begin immediately here. If you have your Bibles or you can look to the screen and we're going to open up to the book of Mark chapter 6 and we're going to read about the 5,000 being fed by just a few loaves, right, and few fish. We looked at this last week. You can find this story in all four Gospels. You can find it in uh, Mark 6, John 6, Luke 9, Matthew 14. But we're going to take most of our text from Mark 6. I'm just going to read the story to you guys again. We're going to read here in verse 34 of Mark 6. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Jesus said, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. In John chapter 6, verse 8, it says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Verse 9, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? And Matthew 14, verse 17 says, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, Bring them here. Continuing back in Mark chapter 6, verse 39. It says, Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And then Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, and a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. And finally in John 6, verse 12, it says, And everyone was full, and Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers, so that nothing is wasted. You can find a similar story in Matthew 15 about the, uh, the 4,000 that were fed and Mark 8. Now, I think it's funny that we just read this as a church. Who's reading our Bible uh, plan together as a church? 
And uh, it doesn't matter if it lines up. It's always we're reading the word together as a body, and I'm preaching the word on Sunday. It's all the word of God. But it is neat when, I, again, I don't talk to Dawn, and Dawn said, did you know that we were going to be reading Mark chapter 6 today? Yeah, that was yesterday and into today, right, for tomorrow's sermon. I said, no, I didn't. You know, we were just in the Old Testament last week, but it obviously is God, right? So I believe the Lord's speaking to us today. Now, I got into the seven points that I pulled from this text, and we're going to go back into those points. Again, last week was very brief. We're going to go a little bit deeper, but for time, I'm going to move quickly. So point number one is that it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says that Jesus had compassion on the people. And it says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, last week we talked, I knew that there was something to this word compassion. And it's actually, as we looked at it last week, something that comes from down within your gut. It means like something is moving deep within you for somebody or some sort of situation. This is the compassion that he had. And when we look today, what I want us to see is I want us to see Jesus's response, and I want us to see what he says, and I also want us to see the disciples' response. All three points really are valid for us. The disciples were just living, experiencing it, being told what to do, but we can look outside the story and see the whole picture, and we are followers of Christ we are followers of his word, and we are also followers of his followers. So we can actually learn from all three things. So we can see the disciples don't have compassion yet. They're thinking about their own needs, and we're going to look at that. But the Spirit of the Lord is compassion. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is compassion, and it is not something on the surface. God's compassion for his people is a deep Seated. It's in fact, if you wanted to do some deeper studies, you would find that the Jewish people uh, believe that the Spirit of God, right, is not down in your heart but in your stomach, right, Dan? Right, the Spirit of the Lord comes out of this place. So, really, when we see that Jesus was moved, it's coming from the Greek, it's a Greek word, which means it was, it actually it means his bowels were moved. Something down deep inside of him moved, and it's the Holy Spirit within him. It's not just feeling sorry and feeling sad, but we must be moved like Jesus was moved for people around us. And it says that uh, if we look in the book of Matthew at this story, it says in verse 13, Jesus had just heard about his cousin John, who knows that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Who loves your earthly cousins? Anybody love your earthly family? Well, Jesus was the Son of God, but he was also a man. I just want you to say it out loud. Jesus was also a man. The Bible makes it clear. The Bible says that he went through everything we go through. That is body, soul, and spirit, and mind. And why does it say that? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, so that his testing would be like our testing. So the devil would have no loophole that 
that Jesus, well, he had special privilege. He's the son of God, and he wasn't really a man. So when he died on the cross, the second part, that his blood wouldn't count as truly representing your blood, which means just like when we have a cousin that was beheaded, we would react with some, not just, oh, that's sad, let me move on and just go do some ministry. Your first instinct, just like Jesus' instinct, was not to be a minister. His first instinct was this, because he was a man. Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, it says, As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. What was Jesus trying to do? He was trying to mourn, just like we would try to mourn. Now, this is a very significant point that must be made today. And I didn't get into this last week, because last week I told you, you would get the, the ground, you were getting the groundwork, you were getting the, the fabric of, of today's sermon, but today we're going to bring this thing together to, to its full depth, and let's just imagine now, when Jesus, it says, it says, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And verse 14 says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them. Now, what is this text telling us? We're going to continue in Mark for the, the story of the 5,000, but if you, this is why, you know, sometimes we, we wonder, why does the Bible have four Gospels? It's just the same story over and over again, and there are different points that are in each of those Gospels, and it all brings together a full picture that you could easily miss if you just read, you know, some, this is, the, this is a, a problem. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail. This is the problem with picking and choosing text from the Bible and just uh, making belief systems upon one verse and not on the entire picture. And you could say that picture could be the, you know, the text itself, the chapters, um, the whole uh, uh, New Testament, and then you could go back, step back even further, the whole context of who God is, how his love is, and how he deals in this situation or that situation, and apply all of that into these stories. And when you just step back and you see Jesus had compassion, it wasn't just, I feel sorry for these people, but Jesus was actually trying to get away from the crowds. That was his attempt, and the crowd found him again at a time when he himself was hurting. So Now, there is nobody on the earth that immediately, you know, you go to your room to be alone, you know, your neighbor knocks on the door because their garden hose is broken and they know you're good at fixing stuff. How do you think you'll probably respond? It won't be Christian. It doesn't even, it's not even your fault. You don't mean to be mean. You just, you're dealing with you and who's compassionate when you're dealing with you? Anybody's first instinct is to help others when you're dealing, you know, it's just human nature. And what we want to see is that Jesus did not live by human nature. This is why I'm making this such a big point. Compassion must come out of a place that supersedes your human nature. Compassion is not just because the whole point of what this sermon is going to be is about the Lord using us. 
So I hope you get that right off the bat. I'm not just talking about who Jesus was, because then you could just say, well, that was Jesus, and none of us are ever going to be him. And yet that's exactly what we must be. We must be Christ, right? That's what the Word says. That's what we are becoming daily, is becoming more and more like him. And we, don't, we should not take our entire life to get there, because there are people that need us. Amen? So something came out of him that was beyond his emotions. Compassion is not an emotion. Your emotions might be, I need compassion right now, but there is a Holy Spirit compassion that bypasses your emotional needs. Amen. And I think this point needed to be made. I told you I was going to go deeper. I told you you had compassion, and you got that last week, but there are some deep things here in his word that are just there for us to dig up. And we can't do everything for everyone. Let me just make this point. And we need time to rest. We need time to be alone. We need time to grieve, okay? I'm not saying that you don't, I don't like the word deserve. You know, I don't use those words. I think deserve is the word from the devil. It is not God's language. That's the world's language. So I don't want to say the word deserve, but everybody needs some time to grieve, to be alone, to rest. But learning from Jesus, he showed us that his, the, the greatest desire was not self, but was selfless. What Jesus showed us is a selfless life, and it is hard. In fact, it comes, the, the need for one of the greatest miracles that, is, that even the world knows, you know, whether they believe it or not, the world knows about Jesus feeding, right, the 5,000. You know, most people have heard at least that story once in Sunday school, even just visiting a vacation Bible school or something. And yet, that story kind of came out of a place where uh, he was really dealing with his own hurts, his own need to, to be taken care of, but he showed that he was selfless. And uh, we could easily say many times, I need to deal with my own issues before I can help someone. And that is a lie from the devil. I am telling you today, you do not need to deal with you before God will use you to deal with the situation he has for you. In fact, at the time when you are emo emotionally vulnerable and needy, that's the, um, the perfect time for God to use you because now it's not you and all the glory goes to him. It's not, you can't say, well, I felt sorry because you can say, I didn't feel sorry for anyone. I was feeling sorry for me, but something from the Holy Spirit moved in my heart and we should never say, um, right now I'm the one who needs help. Right now, the world needs help. We have the Lord. Jesus had the Father's direction. He had the Holy Spirit. The world needs your help. So point number two, who's getting anything out of this already? Point number two, the disciples said, send the crowds away. And there's a common saying that we have uh, as people, and it is in Christianity too, which is, we have to love people, but we're not a doormat. Who's ever heard that phrase, right? Uh, that's um, not a biblical statement, and I do understand its context, and yet uh, 
Jesus shows us that his love for people is beyond. It was beyond just doing what was convenient or logical or what made sense. Uh, and what I want to join here together into point number two is, is this. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 31... Uh, you know, the disciples were saying, Jesus, uh, we've been here a long time, we've ministered, we've gone out, we did some ministry for you, and we've, we've okay, we've had enough, church is over, ministry time is over, it's time that you guys take care of yourselves now, and we're going to take care of ourselves. And we're going to see here is in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, when Jesus, this is also a little prequel, this is the same verse that we read uh, just a moment ago, but from Mark's perspective, it says, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. But in the Mark story, you don't get the context of, of John as much as you do in the other uh, chapter we just looked at. But he says, he said this because there were so many people coming and going. It says, Jesus and his apostles, who are who's the apostles? Who are they? Those are the ones that just said, send them off, send the crowds away to find something to eat. And do you think the Bible has verses written by accident? Is there anything that the Lord penned down by accident? Don't you think it's significant that this whole miracle is about the crowds eating? Meanwhile, who's hungry? Is it the crowds? I mean, maybe they're hungry. Jesus probably spoke and spent along his 5,000 people. If he ministered to them, it may have taken some time. Sure, you know, they're just ready for their next meal, like normal hunger. But the disciples were especially hungry because the Bible says, and we just don't have time to go cross-reference between the four Gospels, but the full story is this. The disciples had just got on their very first ministry trip. Jesus just sent them off two by two. And they come back to Jesus Jesus simultaneously is hearing about John, and they don't get a chance. It's basically, Jesus, we want to tell you about everything that just happened. All right, get in the boat, and we'll go off. I need to rest, and you guys can tell me about it there. They don't get a chance to eat. So now Jesus is emotionally starving. He's physically starving, and so are the disciples. And so they say, what is very logical, which we're going to get into some logic in a moment. I told you that last week, too. I have some deeper things to get into, but they say, what makes sense? You deal with you. I'll deal with me. This is not now lack of compassion. This is just, this is just you know, it's time to eat. There's some needs now that the time has come. Okay, Jesus, we've done enough. We've ministered enough. Now let's eat. They didn't say it before. Okay, so you guys get where I'm going with this. We see Jesus' compassion for the people. That's already happened. He's already been ministering them. And now the disciples think that compassion has hit its breaking. Okay, you've been compassionate. That's enough. Time to eat. And what I want us to see is that the Lord's compassion, it doesn't just bypass uh, self, but it goes past self beyond when you think you've had enough. That's what I want us to see today, that it's one thing that, okay, we've been moved by it, but the Lord says, now keep moving in it, keep moving in it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And we see that his, his ministry doesn't stop just when uh, it maybe is convenient or easy or makes sense to stop. 
And so it says that they said to him, send the crowds away. And it was probably exciting to see, you know, people being, uh, it says that demons were cast out and people were healed on their, on their ministry trip. But the Lord's ministry is not just all the exciting things that come. The Lord's ministry is, okay, you think you did all those exciting things, you want me to be proud of you, and let's have a, let's have a banquet now, let's have a feast together because you went out and you did some exciting things for me. But I want to show, Jesus is saying to his disciples, here's a teaching moment, I'm going to teach you uh, that ministry is just feeding my sheep. It's just feeding them. It's just feeding my sheep. And he says uh, to them, to feed them, which we're going to get into now in point three, but quickly it says, I just want to say this rather, that uh, Jesus is pointing to his disciples, don't feed the people when it's comfortable, convenient, and feasible, but when the need is there. I'm going to say that again, because this might be one of the most, this might be a point to pay attention to. Jesus is pointing to his disciples, don't feed the people, or don't do ministry, Right? When it's comfortable, convenient, or feasible, but when the need is there, even when you're starving yourself, true compassion and ministry is putting others' needs above your own. Which moves me right into point number three. He says in Mark uh, 6, verse 37, Jesus says, you feed them. And so Jesus told Peter in John 21, he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feeding his sheep is ministry. That is what we're called to do. Now, feeding his sheep is not just food, but the point of this miracle and the point of what Jesus was saying to Peter is feeding sheep is be, just being with them. It's not just quickly just giving them something and moving on, but it's there takes time. This is more than just, okay, you got your miracle, goodbye. This is being with them. This is really what he's talking about. And I pointed out last week that uh, years ago, some of the older ones remember, we used to call pastors under-shepherds. Remember that term, right? Because we are shepherds, all of us in here. There's, uh, you might call me Pastor Adam, but every single person in here is a shepherd to sheep. And I pointed this out last week. Each of you has a flock. I don't know who they are and where they are. That doesn't really matter right this minute, but you don't even need to try to figure it out. But there are people in your life that God has placed there for you to fend for and to care for. And by you feeding them, it's not just you working a miracle and giving them food, but it's by giving them anything that the, there's a need. There's, they're expressing to you. You just put your ears up and you will hear people expressing their needs all the time. And it'd be easy just to breeze past them and say, well, okay, well, I'm hungry. See you later. You know, uh, we feel sorry. We feel sad. It doesn't reach that compassion place. We're sorry for them. And then we move on, right? And the Lord is saying that we must be like shepherds and feed his sheep. That's really what he said to Peter is love. If you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus said the greatest love is to lay your life down for another, right? He did that. He was the greatest love. And now we can't just say, well, that was Jesus. That's him. That's not us. We'll never do that. Jesus tells Peter, I want you to love like I loved, which is I fed the sheep. Now you feed the sheep. And what I want us to see now in this sermon is a little bit of a transition that we're putting this now on the disciples. Jesus is now pushing 
He's pushing into the disciples. He's been spending time with them, and now he's going to be, he just sent them out, so they got to see miracles, they got to see his power, they got to see his authority, but now he wants to see real ministry, which is just being with the people, especially when you're vulnerable and hungry and needy and letting the Lord supply. That's what we're about to see, what you need. Amen. Who's getting anything out of this? Jesus is teaching his disciples that God wants them. I see it like that old World War II poster. Remember, I want you. I want you. God's got us uh, in position and, uh, and placed for a reason. He wants us to feed his sheep. And I could get more into that, but we're just going to keep moving here. Um, who knows the Matthew West song, Do Something? You will once I read some of the verses. It's a song just on Contemporary Christian Radio. It's on WFGB all the time. Um, but I was, when I was working on this sermon, I was hearing the lyrics, and I was like, I know this. There's something, there's this song, there's something to it, and it has something to do with this sermon. And it says this, just, just a little excerpt from the song. It's not the whole thing. But he said, I woke up this morning, and I saw a world full of trouble. And I thought, how we, he said, I thought, it's hard to read it when it's, it's a song. I thought, how'd we ever get so far down? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Who knows the song? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of it. People living in poverty, children sold into slavery, the thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did, I created you. If not us, then who? If not me and you right now, it's time for us to do something. And that's really what I'd like us, especially as we move into the to the final minutes of the sermon to really take home with us today is it's easy to follow Jesus around and spend time with him. That's easy. And I love that. Who else loves that, right? We love the, the worship time, spending time with him. We need that. You can't do the next. You can't do what I'm proposing today without that. You have to spend time with Jesus before you can feed people from Jesus, you have to be connected to the source before you can give them from him. So I'm not discounting that. Some people, we take everything, everything gets skewed. The devil just wants to make a mess of everything. Like I've said many times, I did a little more research, and I've quoted that there's 35,000 denominations, but a little more research says that there could be as much as 40,000 different denominations. In Christianity, now I'm not talking about other religions, and now I'm not, I don't want to make a big point here in Rabbit Trail, but the point is the devil's just trying to always get us stuck on these little weird, stupid points. Some of them are major. I get it. We have major things that we believe, but that's too many. And, and the point is, gets us stuck in like this weird debate place instead of spending time with Jesus, getting his spirit within us, so that we can go and do and be what he's called us to do and be. That's very simple, and yet it becomes so complicated. Point number four, just for time. 
they respond to Jesus, how, with, what, we'd have to work. And what good is that? We only have, right? They bring up all, and I, I, read, I read the multiple accounts from the different Gospels because they say it a little bit different, and they're all, who, what, where, and when? With what, how, we'd have to work. It becomes flesh, it becomes me. And this is what I started to lead into just a moment ago, that where the devil just tries to get us trapped on one side or the other, right? One side of the crowd is just spending all their time with Jesus, and they never do anything. And then there's this other side of the crowd that looks like they're doing all these amazing things. But Jesus says to he does say at the gates of heaven on the last day, he says, they say, I did all these things, but he says, I don't know you and cast them into hell. So there is something to both. We must spend the time with him. We must be in his presence. We must know him because we don't want to just be doing works for the sake of works. And yet what I want us to see today is that the outworking of our time with him is Christianity. That's what it means to know Jesus. To know Jesus is not your intimate time in your private space. To know Jesus is to let Jesus out of you. That's really where you come to know him. You got the foundation, you, you spent the time with him, but now once he moves through you, and that's where his presence really begins to do something supernatural inside of you, not just in, in the people around you, but something in you changes. And we don't have time for that, but you can look. We just read it this morning, a little clue. You look in Mark chapter 8, you see a little clue. They were like, hey, we forgot bread. Jesus is like, I'm not talking about bread. I fed the 5,000, I fed the 4,000. Why are you guys arguing about bread? Didn't I take care of your needs? And I, again, we don't have time for that, but if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. We'll move on. They get into logic we only have. With what? What good is that? And as his shepherds, God does not want us to try to calculate and map out what our resources are and, and think you'll have enough. This is what... We must do, we must just do and be what the Lord's asked us to be. You are not supposed to sit down and figure it out. This might be your major point today. Each of, maybe one of you is grabbing one of these points as your point, but I want this to be a big deal, though. We are not called to, to say to the Lord, here's what I have, uh, and I figured it out, and I can feed one person. The little boy brought lunch for himself, okay? <laughs> he brought it for himself. This is a one-person meal. And we are not called to debate with the Lord whether we have enough. And, and that's why for the, for the remainder, because this is the major point I want to get into in point number five, Jesus said to them, how much bread do you have? I like to say it like this. Maybe it's just my personality. I'll say it. Ready? i got to get myself ready. How much bread do you have? We don't have enough. What do you have? I don't have enough, Lord. Do you have a dollar? How about a penny? That's what he's saying. Jesus is not saying, go and find all the riches. Jesus... You know, you know, Jesus could have just been like, everybody's opened their picnic basket and there's bread and fish. We found it. He said, how much do we have? We didn't know we had it. Everybody's got it. Everybody has what they need. But instead, 
He said, how much do you have? Don't you think that Jesus knew exactly how much bread and fish was in that crowd? We know that because there's a little hidden, there's a little hidden uh, view, in, in I believe it was Luke, but I'm, my mind's spinning everywhere because it is four Gospels that I'm pulling the story from. I believe it was the Luke account, but Jesus actually tests Philip. He already said, he has already, it says that in that, in that um, gospel, it says that it's already planned. He already knew what he was going to do, and he's like, hey, where could we get enough bread to feed these people? Right, in John. So in the John account, Jesus already knows what he's going to do before he says it. So don't you think Jesus knows how much bread and fish is out there? And I believe that this is the thing that gets all believers trapped in, and it is thinking, that's not my call. That's not my ministry. I don't have what, I, what it takes, and I don't have the resources to do what he's asking, so it must be someone else. Wow. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I don't need you to save the world. I just need you to be available. God doesn't need help. He wants us to be involved. Remember, God spoke into nothingness. Our word says it, Old and New Testament. We have both, he tells us and then reviews again for us. He spoke into nothingness and created everything that we see. Now, science says that you can't make matter from no matter, right? You need matter to make something. You can't make something from nothing. And there are some scientists trying to crack this code, right, TJ? That's kind of what that Haldron Collider, that thing out in Europe, that's what they're doing. They're trying to crack the God code and whatever, figure out how to make something from nothing. The only person that could do that was God. So God can make something from nothing, and yet he says, what do you have? Why did he make the disciples go through this process? What is he? You have to realize this has got to be a teaching moment. This is about him and the disciples, especially because the John account, Jesus says he's testing Philip. How can we feed? Where can we get enough food for these people? Now, we read it as the miracle, and there's a miracle here, isn't there? Jesus did a miracle. But we're still reading this story today as a teaching moment. Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he's teaching us. He's teaching us that he wants to be involved He does not need a certain amount. He just says, give me what you have. Just give me what you have. It'll cost something. It is a giving of self and resources. But what we give will be far less than what he'll do with it. I preached on this story years ago, and I titled it, Give Me Your Little. I find this fascinating that Jesus made them find bread. Jesus, did Jesus need, let's just ask this question again, did he need something to work with? Did Jesus need physical bread before he could make more bread? Now, we have an Old Testament story where God just brought down manna from heaven. 
Couldn't Jesus do that again? Jesus wanted us to see for all time, and we've read this text ever since it was penned down, that we must give to God, and he will use what we've given him in a miraculous way that we couldn't do on our own. And this, I was just meditating on this, and it was crazy. It Just all of a sudden, it, this text, it hit me. The disciples went and found this very small amount of bread and fish for a very large crowd. And I began to just meditate, and it, I just was, I'm shocked. God did not ask for a certain amount. Jesus said, ready for this? You just read in your Bible reading today, too, about, remember, Jesus was in the, in the temple, and all these guys are giving out of their wealth. And Jesus watches a woman drop in two pennies. And he said that this woman has given more than them because she gave all that she had. Jesus said, how much do you have? And when they found it, they gave everything to him. Everything. We can also read that Elijah, right? Uh, he comes in to the, the widow and uh, the Lord leads him from the river He's been fed by, by water from the stream and food from a raven. That's everybody's dream, right? Eating food from a raven, drinking out of a stream out in the woods, just, you know, like chewed up worms, Brianna. And yet that time season that, that ended, you know, that, that went, and then he, he came into this, this town, and here's this widow, and she's going to die. And he says, feed me first, and then you'll have enough for yourself for the rest of the famine. And so you see this is not just this is not just a principle that Jesus is dealing with right here but this is a principle that is all through the entire word the amount does not matter to God it's not about the amount if we gathered all the riches of the world and gave them to God it is no greater than us having little and giving him everything we have. Does God need us to give him anything to have substance? It's not the amount. It's about giving what we have. And I want us to read together in First Chronicles 21, verse 14. It says, Who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you gave, what you first gave us. This is the principle. Jesus says, and this is the picture I want us to see, because that clock's ticking faster this week. I swear, you guys tricking me. You guys have that on double time every week. But Jesus says, Give me, first of all, it's not even yours. This is the picture. Go and get bread from some little boy. They take it from him, and then now they're hungry. Now, you might think that's crazy. Why would the disciples take it from this boy and eat it themselves? Well, let's just consider human nature. The jails are full for a reason. Before you, you know, think that's crazy, the jail system is over capacity. Because everybody's got their hand in the goodie bag. 
that needs to go to someone else. And we're thinking, well, these are holy disciples. And sure, they walked with Jesus, but they were also human beings. And here they are. They're starving. It's been a long day. It's been a lot of ministry. And they find bread and fish. Maybe they bring Jesus four fish, and, uh, you know, one fish and four loaves of bread, and they take a little bit first for themselves. No big deal. Bring Jesus the, the leftovers. Before you think that's crazy, like I said, just consider human nature for a moment. Don't think of these as holy disciples, just as men. And the Lord says, I want you, when you're starving, to give me what you have, everything you have. This is complete and total reliance. And then the Lord does what? He takes it and gives it back to them. Not for them, but to pass through them and begins to break it, right? Michael and I had a discussion. Did Jesus give them one lump each that they just kept breaking, or did they keep tag-teaming back to Jesus? Both interesting scenarios. I think he's probably right when we were talking that they, he, because the miracle is that he said, you feed them. So Jesus broke it, broke it up, but then they had something now that they could have held. This is mine. It's not yours. I didn't, I'm not giving it to you. It might look like I gave it to you, but I'm passing it through you. And this is what we must understand. In Matthew 25, we, we read one of the scariest chapters in the Bible. I think Christians should read Matthew 25 daily. Just to remind ourselves, Jesus, what he's talking this because this is a chapter about Christians. This isn't about becoming a Christian. This is not about the problems in the world. This is about, this is what I expect from you. Sometimes we wonder, what does the Lord want from me? You know, what's the purpose-driven life? What's his purpose for me? What's his call? All those things are fine. You can ask the Lord, you know, those little, all those details, but on a general, uh, a, a general chapter for every believer in the world, this is what I'm asking of you. And you know what it says? Come on, who knows Matthew 25? We don't have time, but I'll just tell you the story very quickly. What happens? Well, and there's three things that there's like three parables, but the parable that I want us to think about today is that the Lord gives money to three people, right? He gives a bag of silver or however your translation, you know, uh, translates it. It doesn't really matter. The point is that he gives a portion of one, he gives a portion of two, and then he gives a portion of five. And depending on which gospel you're in, uh, I mean, which... Um, Translation you're in, you're going to find some variations of how it's worded. The point is that one has a little, one has a medium amount, and one seems to have a lot more than them. And what happens in the story? Come on, we know it. The Lord sends them out. Now go ahead, I've given you each something. Now go and do with what I've given you. And this is what it says. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops, you didn't plant. This is Matthew uh, 25, verse 24, and then into 25. He says, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? What he's saying is, at least what he's trying to say in this parable is, just do something with what I've given you. Just something, at, something proactive. At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Now, this is why 
I think this is so important for us to see. And why I'm tying it together is that the disciples were many Jesuses in the earth. You guys realize that. That's what happened. Jesus died. And he left himself in 11 remaining men. And then they spread into the region, right? Paul has his own experience, becomes like, you know, the, the grafted in 13th apostle. And they go out and spread the gospel to this generation and that generation until you and I are sitting here. You are disciples of Christ. You know, the, even saying the word Christian, that's fine. Use the word Christian, but, you know, that comes with all its own stigmas and, and ideas. And you are a disciple of Christ. That's what he created. He never, Jesus never set out to, to create churches. There's nothing wrong with, in the, even in the Bible, they had churches. But the churches were just places where the disciples met. Come on. They're not places to go. It was a meeting place for disciples of Christ. And so when we read about Jesus training the disciples, we can read that he's training us. And now he's talking here, okay, I've given you my authority. I've given you my abilities. I've given you my spirit. I gave you my own compassion. I put it in you. When the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, that's not you. That's me inside you. And when you resist that, you're resisting me. And when there's people that have needs and you're debating with me that you don't have the resources or enough, what you're saying is, is that I'm not enough. And that's why Jesus says here in Matthew 25, now this is so harsh, but it should be, it should be understood. It says he ordered, verse 28, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags, because the one with two doubled his money, and the one with five doubled his money, and he heard good and faithful servant from the Lord. But he says, um, but to this one, to this one, firstly, verse 29, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. In verse 30 says, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. So we know the story. You heard it last week, point six, Jesus breaks it, they distribute it. And point seven, which is the least, it's the point that I really don't even want to make because everybody's turned it into something that it's not, is that you serve the Lord, you do with what he's given you, and he will take care of you. You seek first the kingdom of God. They went out and gathered up. Their needs were finally met. It took all day, took all the ministry, you feed the people first, and then, but Jesus points it out, and it says in John that nothing would be wasted. What was the waste? Now, I'm going to take care of you now. now. You serve me, I'll take care of you. That's not why you did it. They didn't even know they were going to have that at the end. But that is the kingdom of God, amen? I pray that this sermon uh, just gets down deep in your heart, and there's a lot in here. And uh, it's definitely, you know, tied together with last week. But I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you seal it within our heart. I pray, Lord, that we would be alive uh, in your word, Lord, that your word would be alive in us, that we would truly know you, Lord. And, Lord, we would know what the word is asking of us.
And I pray, Lord, that we would just be your people. Very simple, disciples of Christ, being and doing, Lord, what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.